Hey guys and welcome back to season three of It's Your Life and This Is Mine the podcast with your host Charlotte Emily Price. So for our first guest today I am really excited to be talking with Estelle. She's going to be discussing ADHD, autism and her experience with that. We look into medical gaslighting as well as her sexuality and the misogyny she has noticed in queer spaces and a whole host of amazing important topics. So I'm very grateful to have her here to talk about these in depth and I hope you enjoy or relate or feel something from this episode let's get into it how are you who are you how have you been doing I'm good I have been doing okay I've been very ill so if I'm a bit stuffy I do apologize you don't sound stuffy do I not I feel I don't feel like yourself fully awful flu and it lasted two weeks Mm -hmm. and it knackered me and it was like it was like a flu and then it was kind of like a stomach flu and then it went back to the flu and I just feel very congested well yes first of all should we talk about the social media stuff like how you wrap a letter I mean you messaged me a little bit about it but like your rapid growth and like success on social media which is amazing so weird (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you what are you loving about it what are you struggling with I'm liking that I don't know if this sounds bad, but like the brands are actually taking me a bit more seriously, which I like because mm-hmm. I feel like, especially in the recent years, a lot of brands, especially because so many people will do so much for free, brands have become quite cheap and they expect a huge amount of work for like a t shirt. <laughs> and um, that has always annoyed me. Yeah. And I've not really done that because I'm like, well, I value my time. So I kind of like that a lot of brands. And it's just more opportunities. And it also means, like, some events I get invited to because I like events, I get to meet people. So that's always fun. And that's obviously something that I've been working on for a while. But what I also like is I get quite, okay, that's something I like, but that gets a bit overwhelming. And yeah. I don't want to sound ungrateful, but sometimes I get so many messages and it's overwhelming. But the messages are really nice. And a lot of them say stuff about how, like, I'm helping them and that makes me a bit uncomfortable not because of them just because I'm like what do you mean <laughs> I'm just posting pictures of my outfits but I think that's more like my brain being silly yeah because literally outf- like kind of accounts like mine helped me when I was recovering from an eating disorder so mm-hmm. I think in the long term that might help me as well with my imposter syndrome a bit yeah but it's been nice to see that people like it and yeah kind of people have been also quite nice to each other in my comments yeah which i don't know why that makes me feel happy of course like spreading happiness spreading kindness like people clearly getting on with each other through you like without your posts like they wouldn't be interacting with each other it's like an amazing thing to see but it is really hard if you have imposter syndrome and like i i've definitely struggled with it and i always feel like so not annoying saying it but being like i've got imposter syndrome and then people like why i know and i feel like like, so many people like oh you should be grateful and i'm like i am but you I'm a human being. We can have multiple emotions at once. So, like, of course, I'm extremely grateful and I'm, like, very aware that I'm very lucky that I did blow up like this. It doesn't happen to everyone. And it is something, obviously, I've been doing for a while, but some people have been doing it for much longer and have dreamt of it. Um, So I'm very grateful, but also, like, it can be very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And I got, obviously, some trolls and stuff, but yeah, I'm used to it a bit. Um, But it's it's been nice, but it's been also a lot. Yeah. And, and like realizing that you deserve it like that's the reason it's blown up it's is so, because you deserve it someone literally said the other day it was it was a question box and they said would you date a fan which i didn't really reply because i don't always reply to everything but like stuff like that i'm like i don't know how to say that's not something i would be comfortable in with without hurting someone 
which is why I don't reply to stuff sometimes. So I'm like, yeah, I don't want to upset anyone. They said the word fan, and I just had a little bit of a mental crisis where I was like, what do you mean a fan? <laughs> a fan of what? <laughs> and then I just I just had a bit of I spiraled for a little bit I was like what do you mean a fan am I fan worthy what is happening do I have fans what is this and my brain just had a bit of a a bit of a glitch and then I was like you know what Estelle people use different words for different things yeah it doesn't matter leave it um but yeah to answer that question from that person probably not because I don't like the idea of a power dynamic yeah so you know I mean it's like for me if I was a fan of someone I wouldn't want to date them because again there's power dynamic yeah I'm very yeah. very conscious of stuff like that and just like yeah I'm someone thinking yeah. they're better than you or like that that whole like yeah. sort of like almost yeah. bowing down to someone else like when it shouldn't it's not healthy but obviously there's always difference like someone can admire you without being all heart eye emojis right mm-hmm. which is why it's also a bit more complicated but also I'm like what do you mean a fan I just want to hide behind my blanket and be like what no. am I doing? That is fan worthy. <laughs> uh, but I think, yeah, that's probably yeah. something I need to... Yeah, I'm not a, f- a fan of the word fan. Me neither. In that context. Because like, for me, it's like big... Th- it's like Stan. It's giving Eminem's... Yeah, do you know it's what giving I mean? Harry Styles. It's giving... Literally, like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, yeah. And I'm like... And it's like, I have so many... I have so many incredible creative friends that do like i have singer friends i have a friend who wrote a musical have all these like and i'm like you know what if people are fans of them that would make more sense to me because to me you can be a fan of like a personality like i don't know like a tv presenter and like reality tv fans and then you can be fans of artists because you're actually a fan of their work right Mm -hmm. but then i never really got the whole fan of tv reality stars personally or like you know fans of like, I don't watch TV, reality TV, yeah. so I'm like, I don't... But then I feel like maybe with influencers, it's maybe closer to the reality TV, so maybe that's also why I've got a yeah. blockage in that. I don't know. It's not like I'm... I think one of the reasons that people really like my outfits is that they're not these, like, massive, extravagant ones, right? They're, they're like, oh, my God, I could wear that. But in my head, I'm like, yeah, but because they're so... They're not... Like, when I say basic, I mean, like, everyday outfits. I don't mean, like, in the neck. I don't like the fact that basic is a negative term. Yeah. And I hate too. that I have to say disclaimer when I say basic. Like, yeah. I don't, like, basic is fine. We like basics. But in my head, I'm like, well, if I was doing these extravagant outfits, then it would be more like a piece of art. So then I would understand that more. Mm-hmm. That could be fan worthy. But again, I think it's just my definition of fan is probably different than a lot of yeah. other people's. Yeah, no. And I can also see why other people, like, do have that fan say fan for yeah. like creatives and influencers and stuff but i just don't like it personally it's like oh they're just like people exactly. <laughs> I don't know. it's like i don't know but i mean obviously I celebrities know. are people as well but i'm like i feel like we're a lot closer to them like we're mm-hmm. a lot closer to the people who follow us than like taylor swift is to Mm-hmm. just in terms of lifestyle I don't yeah. know why I'm stuck on Taylor Swift that makes sense but yeah it's just easy to she's just always ever because m- so many of my friends are like massive Swifties so like all I hear all day is Taylor Swift Taylor Swift Taylor Swift so it's like she's just always stuck in my head yeah I don't even know most of her songs no I don't <laughs> no I'm I'm say- the same but like my friends are like no you would love her because she's like a massive feminist and like all this stuff and I'm like oh maybe I should like yeah and I'm like I, I feel like <laughs> I feel like so many people use the whole like oh, I don't like Taylor Swift as like a badge of honor and i'm like i don't want to be that this is not me this is not like it's just i've some of i do like some of her songs that i listened to when i was like a teenager yeah and it's i don't i'm not hating on her because i think that's kind of slightly misogynistic i won't lie when people mm-hmm. are like i hate taylor swift i'm better than that 
it's giving yeah it's giving misogyny (laughs) but um but also i'm not i don't know it's just all this like some of them are good but i've not like a lot of them to me Mm-hmm. to my ears sound a bit similar but again I don't I know yeah. she, like she has a huge repertoire it might just be me I don't know mm-hmm. but also I really like emo music so like, it's not the same the style yeah yeah for sure I think it's just I haven't got onto the whole I'm ju- I've just never been like massively not massively into music but I quite like silence like when I work I like silence when I'm walking I would rather listen to a podcast and music so I never really like get sucked into like fandom and fan culture with yeah. music i can definitely relate to that for some like sometimes like i have for phrases where i need to listen to all the music but i always listen mm, to the same thing i don't branch yeah. out as much but other times i'm just like no and at home i'd much rather just have like a tv show in the background mm-hmm. like friends or, like you know that, that kind of sitcom yeah. right that in something the background familiar. then i saw that it's something to do with it's all like some sort of like therapy thing and it was like because yeah and it's like you just like comfort like you know what's coming yeah. next it feels and I was safe. like ah <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what I like about it as well is it doesn't matter if I if I go off and do so if I'm not paying attention because for me yeah. I'm not it's not that I'm sitting down to watch it it's just I need it in the background especially standing mm-hmm. by myself like I, I need because I, I don't like too much quiet because then my brain yeah just it just goes and then it just keeps going and then I have like 70 different like radio shows in my head at once yeah and they're all talking over each other and then I have no idea what's happening so that's why I like to have the thing because it just kind of makes everything more even And mm-hmm. I, but like if I'm working I can't I can have like classical music or brown noise mm-hmm. but like I can't if there's voices while well, I'm trying to think yeah like if I'm trying to like write something or write an essay and there's people talking mm-hmm. My brain's just gonna write down what they're saying. Like, I yeah. don't. How do people do that? Like, I don't understand how people can write essays or books while literally listening to people say things. Yeah, mine. I will instantly write. You write what yeah. they say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when I'm actually doing something serious, like any of my uni work, I'm in silence. Yeah. Or like if I'm writing anything, like emails and stuff. Like, I don't know how people have like headphones in, like earphones, oh, no. when you're writing emails. Like, how are you doing that? And it's blasting in your ears. Like, that yeah, really, no. really stresses me out in, in a lot of ways. I can't. Like, if it's, like, in the background and kind of, like, you can't hear it that much, that's mm-hmm. different. But, like, yeah. this is why. This is why I like listening to music if I'm walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Because all I can hear is the music. Yeah. And it's, like, yeah. it's just drowning everything out. And I'm just, like, I'm just zombie mode. But in a good zombie mode. Maybe not always the safest, especially not at night time. Yeah. So I don't do it at night time. So this is why I don't understand how people can do it at the same time. Because it's, like... Because for me, that's when I want my brain to go numb. Yeah. Or if I just want to focus and just listen to my little happy gay songs. Not... Mm-hmm. I don't... Listen. Yeah. I feel the exact same. But I am <laughs> jealous in a way. Because I'm like, oh, that's quite nice that you I can know. like... Listen to like your fun, happy music. But also get... Be productive and get your work yeah. done. I'm like, this, that's... Especially in coffee shops. Impressive. I've always wanted to be the kind of person that can just sit in a coffee shop and do that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, if I'm in a coffee shop, I need... Something to drown out the voices yeah. of other people... But then it has to be like brown noise. But then I can hear the brown noise too much if I have my yeah. earphones in. So it's like, and I just end up yeah. just people watching and yeah. doing absolutely nothing I had to yeah. do. Yeah, I had a really weird, similar situation the other day. I went because I was editing a video. So I was like, well, I'm going to be literally editing my my annoying voice for <laughs> an hour or two hours or whatever. And I took, as soon as I finished, I was like, oh, I'll take my like headphones off and like do some emails or whatever. And then this couple next to me were breaking up and I was like well I'm gonna have to to listen to this (laughs) aren't I so I literally just sat there like just probably just like scrolling between my tabs and like you know 
looking at random things and just listening to them break up so I mean how could you not like <laughs> yeah that was so, a big distraction it's so hard not to and I love I do love people watching yeah. and I just love just getting immersed in other people's lives that way it's just so fun yeah. I did feel bad for him as well which oh, is never really the case him? no he was breaking up with her but I felt, felt bad, bad for him. him yeah it was it was about <laughs> if wants to know. but he was just saying that she never asks him questions and doesn't care about like anything he oh. says or does and I just felt really bad for him what and um he was just speaking so eloquently at first and they were sitting right next to each other so I couldn't see he sounded like he was reading a script why were they sitting next to each other I know that's I thought I, hate when people I do thought that. she I thought she was like comforting him because he was like prepping to do it because he sounded like he was reading on the script but it just turns out he speaks really well and just can I'm so jealous of these people. <laughs> I know. I thought literally, oh, he's reading out this thing that he's going to go meet his partner wherever. Um, and then sh- she started getting annoyed with what he was saying. So like she went as that opposite him and I was like, oh no, it's her that he's breaking up with. And he's doing it really well. And I do feel bad for you because he was just saying basically he didn't feel very like cared for in the relationship. But I'm proud of him for doing yeah. that. Like I it's really hard to In a public this... space as well because yeah. that would put me on edge in a lot of ways. I feel I'd like... have to do it one-on-one in a quiet, quiet split. Space. I feel like it probably feels safer. Yeah. Like sometimes to be in a public space because like they can't kick off as much. Yeah, like true. You know, I don't know yeah. what she's like in the relationship. Exactly. Like he probably thought that that was the yeah. best. Space and also, to it's be. easier because you can both leave. Mm. Whereas if you go to someone's house, you can leave, but they can't. Yeah. And if it's at your house, they can, but you can't yeah. unless you kick them out. But then you have the awkward like ride on the lift. Unless someone, yeah, true, just, true, true. Because obviously, I think about what people do. Yeah, I'm like, what do you do if? Yeah, I, I find it so hard. Like, if I'm really emotional, mm-hmm. to be eloquent verbally. Like, yeah. I can be super eloquent by text. Yeah, and write me too. Me too. To, but like in person, if I'm angry, that's the worst. I'll stop crying. <laughs> and people are like, just they just think I'm sad or heartbroken. I'm like, no, I'm angry at you because you've been a twat. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like it's so hard not to get. I, just, I, just, yeah. Yeah. I always I always end up crying yeah. when I'm angry I was just impressed by the whole situation but also was like oh this is kind of sad but like how are you speaking like that <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give me lessons but yeah same but also lessons on how to stand up for myself that way yeah I'm trying, in such but... a like calm he was just like so calm so collected like just saying exactly how he felt proud of him emotional intelligence was there which is great to see not always the case with a lot of people <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> Um, yeah, that was my random story of the week. I love it. No, I love that. <laughs> um, do, what sort of thing do you want to talk about first? Are you happy to talk about sexuality? I feel yes. like that kind of links on from the social that media does. stuff, the body image. Yeah. Um, I mean, you... I'm always happy to talk about gay stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you post about body positivity, body image as such, like online. Yeah. And you even mentioned to me that you felt like your body image improved once you like sort of like discovered your sexuality yeah. and like, Im- I guess, embraced your sexuality. Um, how did that sort of like start off for you? The sexuality or the body positive? I think the se- sexuality. That's a long story. Um, oh. I'll try and make it nice <laughs> and concise. Okay, so I went to an all-girls school mm-hmm. and that was my secondary school. And well, the issue there is that there was a lot of lesbophobia. There yeah. was there was a lot of misogyny as well, but like the, it was it was not a great, it was a bit toxic. But like, it's like you had to be careful of how close you were with your friends because you didn't want to be seen as gay but also you had to be close enough that you were friends but then also you had even like the actual staff got really weird like there was this one lady and she hated if we hugged and i'm like what and like we're in france right so we do lebbies which is like a kiss on each cheek that's how you say it. you say hello you say goodbye you say mm-hmm. but some of them got really weird about that like some of the the staff 
And I'm like, and I just kind of had this weird thing, but I was also, I was a very, very girly girl. Then I got a bit confused as you do as a tween. Then I was kind of like a very, very, very like watered down version of a pop punk, pop punk. Yeah, that's the word. Sorry, my brain just (laughs) had, yeah, pop punk teen. So it was basically just a lot of black and flannel shirts. That was, that was basically it. It wasn't like extreme. I did have like some red hair and I did get, but it wasn't like extreme. Um, but compared to a lot of my friends, it was actually, but it wasn't like, so I kind of, but it was still kind of girly, but not really. So I was never like the stereotype I had in my head of what a lesbian is, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, it's really butch woman. Mm-hmm. Never what I had, I love my makeup, love makeup, love skincare. That like stuff I've always been really interested in. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of never occurred to me. And also like I, the only gay influence I ever had in my life was gay men mm-hmm. that I knew. And they were all kind of, they fit the stereotypes, right? So it never really crossed my mind. So it never crossed my mind that when guys would hit on me or when I found out a guy liked me, I would freak out and be like, no thanks. No, thank you. <laughs> and be like, try, I, it wasn't great. But like one of my friends, I found out one of my guy friends liked me and I was really mean to him. And I was like, why am I being so mean to him? I, I didn't understand and I got really upset with myself. I'm like, why am I being so mean with him? And obviously now I'm like, it's because I was so scared because I was not into him, obviously. But I was so scared he was going to try and kiss me. Mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, I was like, towards like later, I was like, when I was about like six, 16, 17, 18, mm-hmm. I was like, I've not kissed anyone properly. So obviously like preschool doesn't count. But I had not kissed anyone properly. And I was like, I want to kiss someone. Because in my head, I was like, I need to fit all the masters. I need to do this. I need to do yeah. that. Back find anyone and every time I had a crush on someone it was someone who I basically didn't know I never liked anyone I knew it was always a guy who I didn't know who often was quite effeminate but who I didn't know I never even talked to them so then I basically summer before uni I was like you know what I'm just I'm just gonna find a guy and kiss him and I did and I was like cool but then I went to uni and I was like I can also kiss girls what is happening so I was very happy yeah. so I was kissing guys online sad but I was also kissing girls and I was and like is this in the UK or is this that was it yes yeah. sorry I moved to the UK at 18 for uni. Mm-hmm. So I was in France until 18, some summer of my 18th year and then yeah. uni. And then I've just been in the UK since. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I moved and then people were just kissing girls and I was like, well, I can kiss girls. This is great and girls want to kiss me, fun. And then, um, so the first few, few months of freshers, people were just like, sometimes be like, are you bi? And I was like, no, I just like kissing girls. Because again, in my head I had, um, yeah. so I don't know if you know what compet is, it's compulsive. Compulsory heteronormative. I struggle so much yeah. to say that. So I had a lot of issues with that, mm-hmm. where I was like, in my head, I'm like, well, I need to get married, have kids, do this, do that. Yeah. And obviously, like, it never occurred to me that I could ever not like boys. But then I kind of started questioning a little bit if I liked girls. Mm-hmm. But then when people asked me, I was like, well, I don't know. So I'm just going to say no and be like, oh, you're I'm like, no, girls just kiss better and they smell better and they're prettier. And they're just better. They're just better. But no, 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 no. Even though I didn't like kissing boys that much, I was like, I liked the attention and I confused that as well. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I like getting the attention from boys. So in my head, I was like, well, I must like guys because mm-hmm. I like it, even though I didn't actually enjoy kissing them. Then I went into a really bad relationship that lasted a while. So that lasted almost two years. Very abusive, not a fun time. And then after that, I was like, you know what? I'm just not dating anyone, which is very annoying because right before I met him, I was generally starting to question and like I started having girls on Tinder. I wasn't actually talking to them or really even matching. Sometimes mm-hmm. I would just assume like, is she gonna match me? Had, but I was just like kind of questioning a little bit but then I just put it to the side when I was in a relationship because I just, just 
busy getting abused, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I just, I was so traumatized that it took me until literally the end of 2019 to feel comfortable kind of being in a dating environment again, mm-hmm. even though we finished dating in 2017, like at the end of 2017. But then he was kind of still in my life for a while because I'm not going to get into that. So then obviously lockdown happened. Mm-hmm. And then that was not a fun time. Kind of spiraled a bit. Not great. But then I was on the phone with my mum. And I was like, I really miss going out. But I don't miss going out because I miss going out. I miss going out because I miss kissing girls. But I don't miss kissing boys. Do you think that means something? And she was like, oh, it's probably just trauma. And I was like, no, mum, I think I like girls. She was like, okay. And I was like, mm-hmm. But in my head, still at that point, didn't realise it was a possibility not to like guys. Mm-hmm. And it's not until I started like going on dates with women and then having sex with women. I was like, wait a minute. And then I was like, holy shit. And then that happened, that was at the um, end of 2021 is when I first be like, wait, I don't, still 24 at the time. I was almost 25 and I was like, wait. And then it's only after turning 25 that I was like, I generally, I'm a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And it took me that long and it was very frustrating. And then obviously I had another whole emotional crisis and stuff. And then I was like, well, I'm really girly. Do I like being girly? Do I like wearing all these stuff? Mm-hmm. Do I like this? Do I like that? And I was like, no, I don't. But then I was like, I don't know what I like. So I tried dressing more gay, which isn't even a thing. Mm-hmm. And that obviously didn't feel like me. But then it kind of took a process of me realizing that what I liked and what I didn't like. And then at the same time, I kind of realized, wait a minute. I don't, I don't think bellies are ugly in women. That girl has a belly and she's really hot. That girl has a flat stomach and abs and she's really hot. Is my brain just silly? And I think that's kind of, where that came in so like mm-hmm. removing myself from the male gaze helps in two ways with my body image because it helps with me finding my style and actually feeling true to myself and how I dress because like obviously fashion has a huge impact mm-hmm. on how we view ourselves our sense of self our mental well-being like how happy we are like if you not for everyone but for a lot of people it has a huge impact the psychology of fashion mm-hmm. is really interesting so like finding what I liked and dressing how I liked really helped with my body image, but also being like, wow, all of like, I already knew, I knew but I didn't, hadn't like integrated that fat phobia is such a misogynistic and also racist thing. And it's just so annoying that so many girls, they're like, I need to be skinny because that's what the boys like. And then you have all the podcasts of all these men saying all these horrible things of that woman let herself go. You can't let yourself go after you have kids and all of this stuff. So obviously it's just constantly in our heads. And then you're the same as me. Like we had Bridget Jones who was too fat. But then like this kind of like, first of all, me being like, oh, if I wear what I like, I feel good about myself. But also being like, these women are fucking hot. Mm Mm-hmm of all these different sizes like i generally am as well mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what a guy wants and that's really helped i do still have issues i do still have my eating disorder brain that likes to pop up from time to time yeah but it's a lot easier than it was to just reason with it yeah and it's nice that you can recognize your progress and you know that it's there like you know like you know that it there there is that eating disorder part of your brain that can crop up and it you can like recognize that and be like oh that's what's talking right now like even if it does come in and like knock you back a few steps like you just know that it's there and you can sort of take yourself away from it what i found really helps with that because a lot of people try and fight it Mm -hmm. and in all the therapy i've had it's been like don't try and fight it it's like it's a part of your brain that's traumatized 
So don't be mean to it. Just try and reason with it and always try and have the last word. Mm-hmm. And also what I found is I call, this comes from, I used to write when I was angry and I'd be like, my brain is being silly. I'd write Brian instead of brain as a typo. So now I've just called anything that my brain is just trying to do self-sabotage. It's just, he's just Brian. It's just Brian being a silly like goose. It. And I'm not going to shout at Brian. I'm just going to be like, Brian, you're being a silly goose. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then kind of like, it's best if you have it like obviously on paper and stuff, but having those conversations with the parts of your brain that are trying to being self-destructive can really help because then mm-hmm. you're reasoning with it and then you're kind of not ignoring it. Because when you're fighting, it's also like you're pushing mm-hmm. it. You're not pushing it down, but you're still pushing it away. Yeah. So it's good to understand because if you're reasoning with it and you're trying to un- like listen to what it's mm-hmm. saying basically, I don't yeah. know. At least for me, that's helped. I mean, I always kind <clears throat> of on about it like constantly, but just journaling for me has done like a world of good. And I know it doesn't work for everyone, but even just being a little bit persistent with it, like for a few weeks or so, like that is where I've gotten so strong, like in myself. Like I still have a lot of like flaws that I would personally like pick out in terms of my personality and like not standing up for myself as much. But I feel like I've got to know myself by having conversations with myself essentially over journaling, like what's coming out of my head, what can I try and combat today and like work on to like make myself a better well-rounded person you know like I think that is where my journey sort of started with my body image as well like getting to know myself more and like not being scared to like question yeah my original thoughts no because like self-knowledge is Mm -hmm. very powerful but Mm -hmm. I think as well with journaling I think a lot of people get stuck on journaling is writing Mm -hmm. when it doesn't have to be you can like do voice notes not, not yeah. voice notes the voice memos I mean you could do voice notes to someone but like for yourself voice you can memos. record yourself saying you can do video diaries you can do loads of different things like mm-hmm. for me I find verbally talking about things yeah. is how I process things the best because I'm an external proce- processor mm-hmm. I think it's called so basically I need to kind of talk things through so like sometimes I do find writing things down is really helpful mm-hmm. but I tend to so I'll just send like, my, my friends basically just get like weekly podcasts of just like very long voice notes of just me basically processing and just going through things and then uh but I also do my own so like I'll just kind of just talk to my dog or just talk by myself and try and like instead of like having it like if you talk about it that's also if we're aware a form of journaling like if you don't want to write because some people that just doesn't work and that's fine or you can do the the painty things the painty things that's there's there's a thing there that's why (laughs) I said painty painty things um (laughs) there's so many ways of doing things to like get it out and Mm -hmm. kind of get curious about it Mm -hmm. I think like being curious is a big thing for sure like non-judgmental like just be like cool okay why is that a thing yeah and I guess I feel like this is a classic thing to say too but like the whole social media thing like making sure your feed is curated to what you love like it is so important like it said a a lot I think I see it a lot actually because I follow the people I follow are like talking about really important things but I don't think the not like the average person probably follows as many influencers as I do Um, so might not see this message as much but you have the power to curate your feed like follow people who have similar body sizes to you or follow people of all different body sizes to to you to make you realize that like you said everyone is beautiful in their own way and they've all got different body types so like you don't need to compare it's that whole like sunsets are beautiful and flowers are beautiful but they look completely different like it's it's helpful it is it's like when i first started i was like i need to only follow people who are mid-size like you were one of the first Mm -hmm. i ever followed but then i was like well that's silly I can follow loads of different sizes, but also most, at least when I kind of started, most mid-sized people didn't have a similar style to me. So I was like, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be smarter if I followed people of loads of different body shapes, but then include 
people with my style and then yeah. I can look at okay so these shapes work well on that body and I kind of like how that looks and I feel like that like how that looks on me but then I can do that with these items and I can add this accessory and I can put this harness on there and it's like just make a collage in your head yeah or, you know you can do like if you want to make yeah. it I'm not very crafty I can't lie so it's like I'm not going to make my own collage but like you mm-hmm. can do that as well but it's kind of like yeah. if you don't if you feel so many people are like oh I feel guilty on following and I'm like I've had to mute some of my friends because they were saying stuff that was triggering because they were going on diets and stuff and I'm like you know what they're allowed to go on diets but yeah. I'm going to mute them and I've had like some of them if I'm close to them I'll be like just so you know I'm going to mute your stories it's not personal it's just I'm just trying to protect but like some of them if you're not super close you don't have to tell them yeah like you can mute people you don't have to just unfollow yeah true I think that's a great feature you know because sometimes you obviously don't want to like cut people out of your lives and like the world is just so difficult and life is so difficult like you're all going to be on different journeys but you don't want to like yeah remove someone completely (laughs) out of your life so muting is such an ideal option especially if you find things that they're talking about triggering like dieting or even like slightly different views i mean i don't really get it that much because i don't really associate myself with people that have massively like different political views oh, to me or anything like that like i just don't i don't really vibe with that at all so i would be just unfollowing but you know if you if that those things don't actually matter really to yeah. you um can't relate no <laughs> can't. We, you're really um, scaring me i'm like what do um, you mean people shouldn't have rights <laughs> but you know like you can just mute for those those situations and, and that's that following on we're going to be talking doing a little interactive segment where i asked some people on instagram well anyone who is listening to the podcast now first question we've got is what's something positive that you've discovered about yourself in your 20s because i feel like online there's a lot of people are great they're breaking down the stigma and talking about like feeling shit and negative in your 20s but I thought it might be quite nice to start off with the positive stuff before we talk about the struggles do you want to go first yeah um I've discovered quite a few things I think I realized how resilient I am which is I didn't realize that through fun times but you know it's always a good a good thing to realize and also that like being emotional and soft and all that stuff isn't a weakness. It actually can be a, a strength, which actually kind of goes with, this is very random, but one of my tattoo artists that I absolutely love, I love them so much. They're just the nicest human. They did the strength tower card and it was one of the first tattoo I saw that they did. And I saw that and I was like, I need them to do my Medusa tattoo when I want it. Because the way, so the strength tower card for those who don't know, there's like, um, it's normally a woman with a line. And the way they did it, the woman's face was like kind of calm and it, it had like soft features. And I was like, I love that because everybody focuses on like hard armor and everything. And I realized that there is strength in softness, which I think a lot of people forget. And then obviously realizing, getting all my diagnoses and realizing that some of my diagnoses were completely wrong and very biased when they were given to me and realizing I was gay those are all very positive things um (laughs) but I think kind of in a more like deeper way just realizing that I don't have to hide myself but also finding who I am through all that and actually realizing that I'm good enough as I am and if people don't like it then they're obviously not right for me yeah no I think that's really amazing and that's something that I'm still trying hard to do like is to not care 
about what anyone else thinks and just do me yeah I think it is hard because I guess we've been conditioned especially through school to like fit in and not be someone to stand out but yeah I'm getting there and like even just this year I feel like something positive is like setting boundaries which I was so bad at before um I'm still again getting there but I'm like better at being like no I don't think this is for me like maybe I will want to do this at another time for example like going out for drinks is something that I'd always say yes to and then on the day I'd either like cancel because I'd be too anxious or I just wouldn't feel right from the get-go I'm like no I don't want to do that but I might want to at another point when I'm feeling like less anxious and depressed (laughs) yeah it is so hard like setting boundaries especially when like as uh, people who are like brought up as women there is so much like we are basically like brainwashed into being people pleasers and it's so hard and it's like I've had to set a lot of boundaries recently and normally like I I got better at setting them but not enforcing them and it's like the whole enforcing them is so much it's so hard but then it feels and like the guilt that comes with it, it's like oh I'm a terrible person it's like no actually I'm not I'm doing what the air hostesses have always said forever which is put your oxygen mask on first which have to listen it's so hard I'm very proud of you for doing that though well done it sucks thank you I feel like my whole life I mean exactly what you said like I think women in specifically are being are told to be people pleasers like we are conditioned into being the soft people in life and if we are strong and fight back then we're seen as abrasive and rude and unlikable if we have those boundaries set in place so it's really hard to like do those things without feeling bad and feeling guilty and like apologizing for it so yeah I think it's something that we'll we'll get there one day and it's an improvement (laughs) we take it as a win I'm gonna have a look at what other people have said that are their positives because I feel like it might inspire me to (laughs) to do something in the new year so we've got positives I'm determined and have strong willpower and enjoy doing things on my own that's good I feel like that's something that I've worked on in my 20s I think I was a lot more codependent growing up like on friends on family on my partners and I think being in my 20s even though I do have a partner I've I love doing stuff alone and set aside from him you know like I think there's so much power in being able to enjoy your own company yeah I I think as well it comes with anyone who has like an anxious attachment style mm-hmm. being able to like be alone can really help with that and I noticed because I used to hate being alone like as a kid I used to drive my brother insane because I was like I need to always have unless I was playing Barbies because everybody played that wrong and I was like no I play Barbies by myself but apart from that I needed to be around people all the time and then as I got older, I realized it just wasn't healthy. And it's like, I live by myself and I love it. Like the idea of living pe- with people kind of stresses me out a bit now. Cause I'm like, I like my own time. Um, but I realized there's a bit of a downside to that is when like you're alone at home, it can be hard to do things by yourself outside. Cause I'm like, especially with before COVID, I used to go on like solo dates all the time. And now it could also be because London is so big and it can be a bit scary sometimes. Like I don't do that as much. It's like being alone by yourself at home is good but like I need to like one of the things I want to do more in the new year is like go out and do stuff by myself also without my dog because I feel like that's a bit of a crutch sometimes yeah I I feel you because I think I spend a lot of time on my own inside and if I'm going to work somewhere from a coffee shop I can easily do that but that's again like working so it would be nice to do something that I enjoy like a museum like alone or gallery because I feel like Mm. coffee shops and stuff like that I, I don't know that's that's the easy step it's like 
there's the next step. It's like I had to have um, dinner by myself when I was up in Manchester because my friend's train was delayed. And I was like, I don't know why I feel so anxious. And it was fun, and it was fun, but people kept, uh, like, when people set up the plates, I was like, no, they're mine. Thank you, my plates. Because I got, like, two small plates. Yeah, I want to go, like, I don't know. I went on holiday by myself, which was fun. It was very scary at first. And, like, the first day, I was like, oh, have I made a huge mistake? But then I kind of just kind of took a lay of the land, and I was like, oh, actually, this is nice, because I don't have to, I can do what I want. I don't have to, because sometimes holidays are so stressful, because you have to do things that the other person wants to do. And especially family holidays when everybody just ends up, maybe that was my family, but everybody was like, no, we have to leave now. And it's like 20 minutes later and it's like half the people already, half the people aren't ready. It's just a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. That's such a good point. Like holidays that some people want to go out and do like adventurous things or cultural things, but some people just want to sit and relax the whole time. And it can be a time where you have a lot of conflict with whoever you're traveling with. <laughs> so going alone, like is something that I definitely want to do at some point in my life just for the experience I do think overall I like doing experiences together with someone but like yeah if you're in conflict with like family for example like I think that's probably one of the hardest like groups of people to go away with like from my own experience as well because of everyone wanting to do different things at different times like some people love doing things in the morning some people love evenings and it just unless you've got someone else on your wavelength it can be like a massive stress so yeah I definitely would love a solo holiday at some point there's also a very um it's like a studied thing that adults who are used to not being around their parents when they go back to their parents there's a bit of age regression that happens uh because you're kind of put back into that like basically teenager mentality which obviously creates a lot more conflict because it's like but it's 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 just a thing that happens and it's because of both sides and it can be more or less. But it's like uh, sometimes if I'm like in a close quarters with my parents and my brother for too long, I just sometimes I'm like, why am I acting like this? Like, why am are me and my brother fighting like this? We're like, we're in our like mid to late 20s. Why, why are we acting like teenagers? This is this is not right. And it just gets a bit frustrating. And yeah, like you said, with the morning and the afternoon and like, I'm not a morning person, but my dad is like, we have to get up in the morning, we have to have breakfast, we have to do this. And I'm like, no, I want to sleep. Thank you. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm the same. I'm not a morning person. I wish I was sometimes, just pure, especially in winter because of the light situation. And I, I, oh I realise yeah. that I need light to feel alive. Otherwise I get, well, I can feel the effects of SAD already. But, um, but overall, like I'm more productive. Like I love the evenings. I feel cosier in the evenings and staying up but yeah it is a tricky one holiday um what else have we got oh so someone's put something positive they can literally do anything there's so much time left in the world the 20s like I mean that's something that I haven't experienced personally like I'm having a crisis about it (laughs) I'm always like oh it's like it's everybody's like oh yeah you're so young and I'm like am I because I don't feel like it I feel like I'm like so behind on so many milestones which I know is I like that that person is able to see that because I don't I do not relate and I wish I did I really wish I did but I'm like oh my god I'm so behind yeah I need some of that energy because I am also feeling like you even though I know in like 10 years time I'll be like why was I feeling so old when I was 25 you know like that's not normal (laughs) it's no but it's this thing I feel like it's a thing that happens like my mom told me that between about 24 25 to basically 27 28 she was in this weird limbo thing and so many people are here are like in this weird thing and you feel like you're so far everybody seems to feel like they're behind in life and then you kind of get older and you hit your 30s and you're like oh this especially um women tend to have that thing especially in the 30s where they end up thriving and I'm like 
I want that. I, mean, I wish I could be thriving now, but you know, I don't know. It's oh, I like that person. We need more of that energy. I'm like, yes, give me that energy. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I love how I've done the positives first as well. Like in a minute, we're just gonna be going through all the struggles and leaving on a negative note. But that's fine. <laughs> I like the positives, it's fine. Oh, that no one knows what they're actually doing. We're all just winging it. I like that's. Nice. I like that social media has, I think social media has really helped people realise that because so many people used to think like, oh, I'm struggling by myself. And it's like, yeah, there's loads of issues with social media, but I feel like one of the things is that we can all relate. And whenever, oh, I dropped my jumper. Uh, I've got an emotional support jumper to squish because apparently I need, I need something against my belly. <laughs> What was I saying? Yeah, social media. It's like sometimes when I'm having like yesterday, I had one of those days where it's not like terrible, but like loads of small things. And it's like the hot water went out and, it's, and it came back on for a little bit. So I was like, oh, let me shower. And as soon as I had the shampoo in my head, the hot water went off again. And I had to have a cold shower. And it's just one of these days, right? It's not terrible, but it's not great. And I was just saying about how I was feeling like shit about that on my stories. And so many people, could, I feel like the pause when people are like, oh yeah, I'm having one of those days too. And it, I think it kind of helps people to put into perspective like, oh, it's not just me. Or like when I was talking about like seasonal affective disorder or when I was talking about just the end of year burnout. And I feel like so many people are like quite open about this now. And it's like, oh, it's not just me. Okay, then I'm not going insane. I'm not failing. It's not like a personal failing. It's just everything is hard. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think um, social media has it's like a comfort blanket when you're talking about something negative in your life because other people like when I've spoken about grief for example especially around this time of year that's when I get people going I feel the exact same thank you for talking about this this has really helped support me and I'm like oh it isn't just me going through this like horrible emotion like other people are also experiencing this so I do think social media is amazing at this time of year for that reason when people are talking about the bad things that are happening um otherwise it it used to be I think maybe three or four years ago like all sunshine and rainbows like all year round on social media and I think that is why it's good these days because people have been more realistic about their lives and how they're feeling yeah I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure you have to because there's so much it's like the summer I feel like summer and like end of year there's this pressure to do everything and to be happy and to enjoy it but for some people it's very stressful because there's all like this pressure to do certain things but then if you add on top of that grief like it's hard and it's not just the grief of like so for example with me my grief related to my grandmother there's obviously like the personal grief of that person I'm missing but it's also the grief of since she's passed Christmas has always been different because we used to do it at her house which isn't there anymore so now instead of doing it up in Cheshire we are back at my parents house in France which is very different and that house feels very sterile to me because I never actually lived there because my parents moved into it after I went to uni because we lived in a flat beforehand it's completely different and it's not at all what I'm used to and so then I miss my family because like the family used to come around my grandma's house it's kind of this like sad nostalgic feeling around the things that they miss from childhood as well I guess there's this kind of this reality of like oh wow I don't know things are changing things aren't always going to be the same and I'm never going to go back to that and I really it, it gets really hard and this year has been really really tough and I, I don't know if I've spoken about it to be fair I might have I, I know I did on my close friends <laughs> because I do use that as like a private diary sometimes it's when I went up to Manchester because I'd not been up north at Christmas since it happened and I didn't realize and I, I just got into the train station 
the crew train station, which is close to where my granny used to live, Nantwich. And I just started crying. And I was like, what? And I know so many people, like so many stories are talking about grief right now. And even if I'm not like interacting with them, just because it feels a bit heavy for me to do that. It's like, it's so nice to see, like, it's not, I'm not alone. And it's like, I feel like there's a lot more advice out there. Not just advice, but you know, like, you know, there's like really cute little motivational posts. It's like, it's okay if you don't do this. And it's like, I like them because it's like, it's giving people permission, even though no one needs that permission. It's kind of reminding people like, you don't have to go to Winter Wonderland five times in December. You don't even have to like leave the house on New Year's Eve. You can do what you want. It doesn't matter. And you're allowed to say no. Like, you don't have to go to that work Christmas party if it's going to overstimulate you and you're going to end up having a panic attack in the toilet. Like, just don't go. And I think that's quite nice that people are starting to talk about this because it can get very lonely otherwise. I remember, like, I used to feel so guilty about no longer enjoying Christmas because I used to love Christmas. And I was like, oh, am I ruining it from everyone? It's like, no, I'm not. No one is. We're just doing our best. I completely relate to, like, pretty much everything you've just said. And, like, I... I still am like I love Christmas but I'm like do I and then I like question like everything about it and I start like overthinking about like I lost my granddad two years ago at Christmas and my nan now is on her own and like I always feel so horrible going well I mean it's only happened one year this is the second probably year it's happened but like going back there and just seeing her alone like is so triggering even though I absolutely love love it and she loves Christmas as well so it's really hard seeing her so down at this time of year because of that situation and like it's it's such a weird time because I'm loving like all the new traditions that I'm creating here in London with Christmas but then there's it's all this like childhood nostalgia and like going home and like seeing family and everyone getting old and like basically it starts my whole crisis off in the new year and I'm like oh this isn't how it used to be like I used to love Christmas and going into the new year and seeing it's a positive start and I try so hard to still do that and like sometimes it's just not not happening and I just need to be less like harsh on myself when I'm not feeling like 10 out of 10 going into the new year you know I think it's good to allow yourself to feel those like harder emotions of like you know what I can you can still like Christmas and still find it hard like I think so many people get focused on like we can only have one emotion it's like that's not how humans work we can have completely conflicting emotions and it is just part of the human experience so it's like I still really love Christmas because it's like Love Actually is a good example I still love the film Love Actually because it's my childhood, but realistically, it's a very misogynistic film. Same with Bridget Jones, but obviously that's not Christmas, but it's like, it's like kind of like being able to be like, you know what, I love this, but also it's hard and it's not great. And like, kind of like, I used to push it and like try and ignore it and push it down. It's like, no, actually like kind of sitting back and be like, and if you need to cry, just kind of be like, okay, I want to cry. And like, if you journal, journal that stuff and kind of like sit in it and let yourself feel it. So that way I feel like it takes away a lot of the stress, I guess. Because I feel like a lot of stress can come from bottling things down. I'm sounding like a therapist. <laughs> Literally sounding like my therapist. Um, but yeah, I think it's just, I think, yeah, it's like realising that it's okay to be like, or even if you no longer like Christmas as much, being a bit ambivalent about it, that's completely fine. Like, it also doesn't mean that you'll never find that again. Because I feel like sometimes people do find it. It might not be the same, but it doesn't, have to be it can still be good which is can be hard but I like that people are talking about it because it, I feel like if you have to deal with that by yourself there's a lot of guilt and shame attached to it which is just unnecessary 
it's like oh I'm just ruining it for people and it's like you know you're not it's fine no exactly yeah and like likely if you're in a surrounding where you've also your other family members for example have also lost that person they're probably feeling the exact same way so it's almost a way to connect with those people and see it as like yeah um, it's like we always have a cheers to my grand because her birthday was on Christmas day um so we always like cheers my gran and there's a bit of tears yeah. happening but it's nice because it's just like and it, I think it's a good way of like instead of like because instead of having the stiff upper lip if someone if even if it's one person is like I'm missing that person then it can kind of start people talking about it and then instead of just being in the sadness you can have the fondness as well you know when you remember someone and you're a bit teary but it's also nice because it's like oh I remember all the good things about it so I feel like it could be that could also be like a new nice tradition of like fondly remembering those we have lost instead of just trying to ignore the elephant in the room. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think it's good to let out the emotions rather than just everyone bottling them up and then suppressing it until like it gets all too much. Like I completely agree. Like even now I'm just like tearing up, but like I need I'm like, it's happiness. It's happiness. Like I've conditioned myself into thinking crying is always sad. Like like my boyfriend always says to it to me like what's wrong and I'm like I'm sad and I'm like no I'm not I'm like actually happy but I'm just crying 100% especially with school with school I always got crying equals you're upset or you're sad and I'm like actually I cry when I'm angry that's really annoying and like when you're like very angry at someone I cry when I'm angry I cry when I'm happy I have cried at so many books because I was I cry at books more because I'm happy than because I'm sad like it's, it happens more often I if I'm sad there'll be a lot more tears like but like I'll more often cry because the book I'm like oh my god this is amazing tears are just a sign of strong emotions but we've I feel like we've just been what's the word not con- conceived no that's not the word been conditioned into thinking it's always sadness and it's like it's, it's the same as like you know with anxiety and excitement if you're so used to feeling anxious you might not realize you're excited because they feel so similar because they have the same biochemistry so yeah it's good to be like um and also like getting rid of it's hard I still struggle with that but like I've tried to stop feeling ashamed if I get teary or cry in public, which is hard. But like sometimes I'll be listening to just something and then I'll get a bit emotional. Like I was walking my dog earlier and I was listening to the end of this book and it was so good. And I started like tearing up a bit walking my dog and I was like, does it matter? It's the same. Like I try not to suppress stuff. Like if I listen or if I think something funny, I'm just going to laugh. And I don't care if the people on the tube think I'm insane. Like, why would I suppress laughter? It's such a nice thing to do. You reminded me of something when you were saying about happy to... Yeah, I, we were watching Paddington 2 the other night because it, it was reviewed so highly and I was like, I kind of want to watch it. And I was like crying at the end because they brought his, his auntie to London. <laughs> and I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I feel so sad. And I was like, no, I don't. I feel happy, but I'm crying. Like, I'm so confused. <laughs> Why do I feel like this? But yeah, I'm still in the process of trying to tell myself that I can cry when I'm happy. It's not just me being sad. <laughs> I think as long as like, I think this is the thing. It's like the process of being like, kind of catching yourself it's the same with so many things I think it's called cognitive challenge or cognitive diffusion there's a word for it there is a fancy word for it that I don't know which one it is uh but it's kind of like you like you notice and you have like this kind of core belief or like this ingrained thought pattern that kind of keeps going and then you're like you kind of like hear it and you're like wait a minute I noticed that I don't think that's true and then you challenge it with a new thing and then that's like for I feel like that's such an useful tool for so many things including like body that's I learned that in like eating disorder treatment but I've used that with so many things and it's like also kind of I think like a mindfulness thing where you kind of step away like you step back from your thoughts and it's like you have because you have these automatic thoughts it's like oh yeah 
like automatic reaction. I'm crying, I'm sad. And I mean like, wait a minute, am I? Oh, I'm not. Interesting. But then the more you do it, the more it becomes automatic. And then you might, and then you kind of change the core belief in your head of like crying equals sad that after a while changes. And I think it's, can you see the psychology note coming out right now? I'm like, yes, neuroplasticity. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like just basically re- rewiring yeah. your brain into thinking something new, which is so hard when yeah. it's that belief has come from such a young place in your life and like just realizing that. But yeah, I, that's something I've been trying to learn in like therapy, like the whole neuroplasticity thing. And so interesting. Trying to sort my little brain out. <laughs> not, it's like, it is, it, there's a, it's so much work, but I love learning about all the like nerdy aspects behind mm, it. And too. I love the fact that it is a thing. Like it is possible to do a lot of things. Like it's like core beliefs around so many things. And it's why I get so sad when people comment stuff on my, right, on my post. So many people will comment really upsetting, like very sad things about like, oh, why, why do you look so amazing? But I look like a potato. And I'm like, you don't look like a potato. I mean, first of all, there's nothing wrong with potatoes. Potatoes are fantastic. But like, that is because you you have so much internalized fat phobia that you've kind of internalized that belief. So it's like, no, but it's like, I can't just reply to everyone and basically give out therapy advice. That's not like, that. that would not be ethical on me. But it's like, I wish people knew like about like, if you have these thoughts, instead of like commenting, commenting them or like, like expressing them unchallenged, like if you have these thoughts, don't get mad at yourself for it, but just kind of like be like, oh, that's the thought I have. And then challenge it with stuff that you know is the truth. It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm beautiful. It can be something very neutral of like, my body is not to be looked at or what, not that, but you know, like my body is, your body isn't like a thing to be judged and like analyzed almost yeah yeah your body's main purpose isn't to be like looked at and fantasized about you know like how people do yeah yeah sexualized and objectified like your your body's main purpose is to like carry you through life i don't know it's like i love that it's becoming more like brain plasticity and all this stuff is becoming more mainstream but still so many people don't know about it or don't or think it's like woo-woo stuff and i'm like no there is science on it yeah there's like actual hard evidence which is very cool and they've done some very cool studies and it's just, yeah, and obviously it's not, some some people can be like, they can try it for a bit and they're like, oh, it's not changed because I feel like some people make it sound like it's this really easy thing to do. It's like, no, it takes, it's exhausting. It takes conscious effort. It takes years and years and years. Like even now, I've been doing it for years and still sometimes I have very negative thoughts about my body. And sometimes like I have had a lot of issues and had a meltdown before leaving the house because I just felt so uncomfortable in how my body looked, which had to do with not just like the body image stuff. It also has to do with like gender things and just loads of things. I think, yeah, that's the problem is that either it's seen as this like really easy thing and people are like, well, why is it not easy? Or it's seen as this impossible task and like the reality of it isn't broached as much. There's so much when it comes to this like body image online and stuff. And it's so hard, I think, to post online about it and then have other people criticize or chip in when you're on your own journey as well like it's such a weird balance like because you want to go out there and help people but then it reaches the wrong audience and you're then having to like stand up for yourself or deleting stuff and yeah it's a bit of a roller coaster (laughs) I've tried to like instead of replying because if you reply I don't know if that's true but I've heard if you reply like the algorithm sees yourself interact it sees that you're interacting so bring more people like that so I just ignore it. I don't reply to them. I just report and block. And then um, if it's something that I think would be harmful for someone else to see, then I'll just delete it. 
because it's just like and anything that goes semi-viral I just do not look at the comment sections because I'm like I'm I'm not putting myself through that it's just not worth it it's because otherwise it's just and like I, a few years ago I would never have been able to do that because I had like such a bad just my anxiety would have been so bad with it that I would have had to look at it so it's like I'm quite glad that I, it's, it, I didn't go viral until like recently because I feel like just a year ago I would have been like just reading everything like obsessively which just isn't healthy mm-hmm. yeah you're you're better than me for not looking because like for some reason my brain doesn't let me not look and I just like search for someone to um I guess affirm my horrible beliefs about myself <laughs> which is clearly something that I need to work on I am be- I am better at it overall I think just sometimes if I'm having a bad like body image week or something I will be like yes let's look at my hate and agree with them <laughs> but yeah most of the time report block or write get well soon <laughs> it's, my, it's my new favorite reply like get well soon <laughs> <laughs> I love that oh I love that I love it as well when people um it's like so many people are like oh you shouldn't put people on blast and I'm like yeah I hate that I'm just like if they're gonna do it like it's not even like doing it back it's just being like this person is evil report them and block them <laughs> yeah it's like I see so many people it's like uh, Lucy Dawson you know Ludo like when she gets some she'll just like screenshot them or she'll make actual video and it's like she's talking about such important topics and then the way people are just basically victim blaming her it's like she was getting the most horrific messages about basically just sexual violence against disabled people and she, and like people are like well have you seen how you look and like she just put all these people on blast and I'm like I am so proud of you for doing that because that takes a lot and it's like very it must be very emotionally draining and it's like Obviously, like, if people don't have the emotional capacity to do that, they should not do it. Like, it's not a thing, but, like, I don't think it's a bad thing to do it either. Like, you don't have to do it. But if you want to do it, then I don't... If people are being... It's like, it's like you know, when people send some, like, very, very inappropriate messages, and then I'm like, I know some people who will just be like, let me see if I could find your wife, and then they send the screenshots. I'm like, I love that. I love that. I, I, do, I, I don't have the... Um, I just I'm too tired to do stuff like that but like I wish I yeah. could do that because I'm like that is yeah or like message their workplace yes like, this person is sending violent messages no online I love that. sexually harassing people like oh especially yeah students as well students are they need to learn a lesson. they do they shouldn't be able to do that I, I I find it it's ridiculous and I like seeing it when um what happened again with Lucy um she's not the one who reported it but someone else did to uh because it was someone at uni and then the uni literally messaged her herself being like if you need any support or something I think but yeah and it was like I just loved seeing that because I'm like people are keeping other people accountable for being awful and I like that and it's like sometimes like if I see a comment I do do that I don't check only my hate comments but if I see a comment that I'm like it sounds like you're having a go at someone being an asshole I kind of go on there and then I look at all the people basically hating on someone who said something horrible and defending me and I'm like that's quite nice that's nice I like that (laughs) I mean yeah it's it's easier because at least if you do it that way like it's probably best to not look at any hate comments but if you see a hate comment in the context of other people calling that person out for being a horrible person that makes me feel a bit better I can't lie (laughs) and then you don't have to get involved yeah I don't I don't want to get involved yeah because I'm like I don't have the energy for it yeah I feel you shall we look at the struggles of being 20s so struggles I think we go through this quickly because who wants to talk about things that we're struggling with? So a lot of them are actually about dating and money. 
which I feel like are two big topics of 20s I feel not knowing exactly what I want to do in life but feel like everyone else does yes um trying not to compare myself to other people struggling with the idea of being 30 the feeling that we as women are on a societal timeline and 30 is the milestone oh ambiguous loss I feel like that's something that probably one of my biggest ones ambiguous loss yeah it's basically that it's like a lot, lot to do with dating comparing money not knowing what they want to do in life can you relate are there yes. any others <laughs> I can relate to a lot of it with some of it for example like the timeline of the 30 and stuff mm. I think hearing a lot of people talk about how their 30s was one of their happiest times and like that really helped me but also the whole gay thing has really helped because I'm like I don't feel like I have a timeline anymore because yeah. So I feel like the 30, obviously there's the biological clock for people who want to have like biological babies, which is a whole other thing. But like people, like my aunt had a kid when she was her first kid and only kid she had when she was like 43 or something. So it's like with medicine now, people are having kids much, much older than they used to be. So that's, I think another thing that if people want to have kids to keep in mind, like you can, like she didn't do IVF or anything. It was natural as well. So it's like, it can happen. Obviously there's like, I think there's like different risks and stuff, but it's like something to kind of keep in the back of your mind of like, this is not like the middle ages. You can have a kid later. Um, and also I think a lot of the biological clock, not about, sorry, a lot of the limit at 30 unrelated to biological clock has been put on to women by men. Yeah. Um, so I feel like not being in that sphere and like just having nothing to do with straight men in that sense has really helped me with the whole 30 thing. But I do really struggle with the whole feeling like I'm behind, like I'm doing a master's part-time. I'm not going to graduate until 2025. So I think I'll be, I'll be almost 28 when I graduate from my master's. And because of like all my health issues, I've never like, I've not actually started the career I want to go in. I've not done anything for it apart from like my bachelor's really. And it's like all these things and it is very stressful and it feels like I am massively behind, but it's like, we don't, we we, we probably kind of live very long time still like there's like <laughs> like by the time we get old people will probably be living more towards like their like hundreds yeah yeah so it's like we have time and it's just hard because it feels like such a thing and also with the way media is portrayed and everything everything is centered around youth and stuff which is why i love the thursday murder club have you read those books no so good they're set in a retirement home and i love it so much they're so good it's like i like that there is media around all the people now because it's like life doesn't end these people are literally in like a retirement village mm-hmm. and they're having they're doing that they're like solving murders they're having like the little gossip Aww. they're living the life and it's great and i love stuff like that and i think we need more stuff like that and it's just yeah i relate to a lot in the money stuff the cost of living is all so many people having to move back to their parents house and like mm-hmm. really not enjoying that situation for some people they like it but for a lot of people it feels like they've lost their independence and there's like a lot of their like relationship with their parents becomes strained because the parents still have this mindset of under my roof under my rules but then the 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 kids are like well I'm I'm like 28 like I'm gonna do my own thing and it's this loss of independence and it's so hard and it's like I don't think it I don't know if it's like super helpful but like so just everybody's really struggling really with the cost of living because of the way things are set up and it sucks so much I don't know if because sometimes it's like it doesn't make that much of a difference but like it's not an individual thing like it's like it's not you like to anyone who feels like it's not a you problem it's a societal problem 
Like it generally is. And then with the dating thing, I, I can't comment on that because I kind of just took a break. I'm like, I don't, it's not worth it. It's just not worth my time anymore. Dating apps have gone to shit. Meeting people organically in London is pretty much impossible, especially when you're gay. Like it's like, I don't want to meet someone on a night out. Like I don't know if people do that, but I don't want to do that. I want to meet someone when I'm like, yeah. it's just not an environment for me. So I've just, I, I can't comment on the dating because I have um, put a massive pin in that. Just out the window because I have other things to focus yeah. on. I'm like prioritizing myself and my family and my dog. Yeah, I like that. No, my fam- my friends. I forgot my friends. That's the thing. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Very important thing because like, I don't have, I have such a <laughs> limited amount of times. So I'm not going to waste it on someone who might end up being an asshole or, which might be a bit of a cynical way to do it, to view it. I think it is a bit cynical, but it's like, if I have such a limited amount of like free time, I'm not going to waste it on someone who, mm-hmm. on like someone who I might not know. I'd, I'd rather focus on my friends who, I love and care about and like I want to like keep those instead of like which I think can be actually a struggle for some people because again everybody's working so much everybody like at at the minute everybody's like doing massive overtime and just burning out and I'm like how do people have time to do anything this is a complete tangent and I, I guess it's like also the timeline thing people worry about dating because it's sort of all of them like link like the comparing is usually like looking at people buying houses and you're thinking how the fuck have you bought a house like I'm I'm nowhere near saving to put a deposit on a house even though that's my goal like people getting engaged married babies and you're like god like I want that like am I stupid for waiting too long like is my body clock like I feel like everything interlinks and like the whole dating like I need to then find a partner to get on this like train of getting engaged and stuff oh my god it's just it is it's just too much and then like even then I've taken a step back in my 20s thinking like do I want to get married is that something that I want like yeah or have I just been made to feel like that's like part of the human timeline like that was a big thing with me I realized like I don't want my own kids because I I don't think it's a very smart thing for me to have kids right now I'm like maybe I don't know maybe when I'm 50 I'll be like you know what maybe I'll adopt but like right now it's not something I think is viable for me yeah and I kind of like took a lot of pressure off and I think as well I think with the the whole the house buying thing a lot of people have to realize you don't know what's going on with these people's lives their parents might have had a savings account in their name when they'd been saving money like an ISA or something since they were a kid to put a deposit down on the house like so many people who have a house have had not everybody loads of people Mm -hmm. have done it by themselves but also loads of people have had help from their parents because their parents were able to do that maybe they were able to save or maybe they had some spare money maybe a relative died and they used that money like that's the thing that happens or like maybe the Mm -hmm. parents sold their big house downsized and then used that money to help the kids with the deposit like Mm -hmm. it is a thing that happens like it's not like that's literally what I tell myself like even if even if that is not the case I'm like definitely got money from their family (laughs) that is that is so (laughs) common people forget how common that is and like I think because there's so much shame around saying that your parents help you financially. And it's like, but it is such a common thing. If people talked about it more, I think there would be a lot less shame around it. And I think I've noticed the biggest difference, one of not, but one of the big difference from like France versus here is like Mm -hmm. the way parents are like, well, you're 18 now you're on your own is a lot more common. Mm -hmm. Whereas like in France, maybe it's changed since I was there, but it very felt very, it felt very different of like, because I don't actually personally agree with that whole, like you're 18, you're on your own. It's like, I think if you have kids, you have to be, when you have kids, you didn't, the kids didn't ask to be brought into this life. That's a choice that you made. So you decided to have those kids. So you should basically support them, whether that's financially or emotionally, 
well, emotionally for the rest of their lives, obviously, because that's family stuff, but like financially until they're able to be independent by themselves. And it's like, obviously there's like some exceptions. Like some people can be like, if, if your son is Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy, like I don't blame you for cutting that off, you know? But I think so many people like, see it as a personal feelings and so many people so oh I hate it when I hear stories of like parents being like oh well it's because you spend all your money on coffee and, and it's like there has been studies that shows it has nothing to do with that you bought your house for like a packet of peanuts do we are you insane just look at the statistics it is so hard this is why there's so much more built to rent places being created now because places have realized like people some people will never be able to buy a house. And I think a lot of people see that as a personal failure, but I think kind of stepping away from that and realizing that that isn't a personal failure. That is a thing that's going to happen and that's okay. You don't need to own a house to have her lived a valid experience, like a valid life. And if you don't own a house, at least you don't have to worry about selling it. Pros and cons of everything. If, if your roof caves in, if you own your house, you have to deal with that. If your roof caves in you're, and you're like renting, that's not your problem. You don't have to pay for that. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen a lot of a lot of people doing that, you know, like just being like, I don't even know if I want to buy a house anymore. Like the stress of even thinking or saving up for it because of just the current climate. And like, I don't blame them, to be honest, because it's such when you start thinking like about it, I could sit here and go into a big hole and like get really depressed genuinely about it because I think from again a young age it's like oh I really want I can't wait to buy a house one day and then the actual realization of that when you're an adult and like what goes into getting that and even just being self-employed like I have I've had to pay six months rent up front in London before because they're just like you're self-employed like we don't trust you we think you should be dead and then I'm like here you go have all of my money and now I literally won't be able to feed myself yeah I've had with my flat because I'm disabled and I'm on benefits and everything landlords don't like that so for a lot of stuff, my parents have to help out. So that's the thing. And it's like, I don't like telling people that because the amount of people who judge me and they're like, oh, you're so lucky that your parent." And it's like, I know that I'm very privileged in the fact that my parents helped me out. But the reasons my parents have to help me out is because I have been failed repeatedly by the medical system and by governments, both in France and in the UK. Like, I wish I could, I want, I generally, as much as I do enjoy social media, I want a career in psychology. I've been wanting a career in psychology since I was a teenager. Like, I want that so bad. I wanted to be a corporate girly. I don't know why, but that was my dream. And it's like the fear of not being able to not only... Because, like, I have to get a lot better physically and mentally in order to just be well enough to have a job. But once I am, I will still need a lot of accommodations. And even though legally places have to give you these accommodations... A lot of places will not do it because the, the the law is so vague. It's like reasonable adjustments and employers take the piss. And a lot of disabled people do not have the time, energy or money to sue these people, even though you probably would win. But you might not because the judge might not be able to help. And it's just all this stuff. It gets so stressful. And it's like, yes, I am extremely privileged to be in a position where my parents have been able to still support me financially even though it does obviously create strain on our relationship because I'm like, I have a lot of guilt around that. It's not like they're rolling in money. Like there's re like they've had to, you know, not to get super into it, but it's like, it's not been easy, but it's like, yeah, I'm privileged, but I'm not lucky because the reason I'm in the situation is because I have been repeatedly failed by the government and by the medical system in two separate countries because people do not care. 
Like, literally, Rishi Shunak got rid of the the disability minister. Like, they don't care. People do not care. Eugenics is still a thing. During lockdown, during, like, COVID, people with autism had a do not resuscitate order. Like, it's it's still a thing, and people aren't talking about it, because, unfortunately, most disabled people do not have the energy to just riot. And it's, like, this, like, people, so many people still have this, like, mentality of, benefit scroungers which pisses me off do you know how hard it is to get benefits it's so hard it is exhausting it's impossible oh god but yeah i think it's like going back to the whole point of a lot of people get help from the parents and i don't think it should be a thing that's shameful i don't think people should be made felt made to feel guilty about it i don't think it should be a problem and and if you're in a position where your parents have the money to be able to help you and you are literally just struggling so much is not a personal failure for you to be like hey mom and dad can you please help me out obviously some parents can be twats and say no but like a lot of them would rather you not starve even if it's not like even if they're not giving you the money even if they expect you to pay it back at some point but yeah I think it's the problem is a lot of these people a lot of people have like that generation it just has a problem of like well when I was your age and I'm like just shut up just shut up it's a different world it's a different world your house now it's like they know, they know the house is worth like five times more than when they bought it. But the math ain't mathing in their head. Because in their head, they're like, oh, I'll have so much money if I sell my house. They don't think of, well, if my house is worth that much more, maybe that's why people, young people can't buy houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just, it's just very close minded. Like, I'm not saying everyone's like this, but I have, I think there's only one of my family members that has actually li- listens to me, like, and keeps with an open mind. Like, even if they, we do have some conflicting like opinions like there's literally one one guy in my family that I'm always like I like you you actually can have a normal intellectual conversation without just being really one-sided like I'm happy to listen to your side but I'm probably going to disagree with you do you know what I mean because you're just very very in the past and not open to like learning about what's actually going on right now yeah I'm very lucky in that my mum's family is very open-minded and my dad's family is a bit hard to get on with for various reasons, including homophobia. Uh, so they don't know anything about that, which is just great for me. But uh, another, but one thing that's good about my dad's family is that they come from, they're an immigrant Spanish family to France, right? So they still very much have like family, family, family. So they have no problem supporting their family. Like it is very much like people supporting each other and like family supports each other, whether that's financially or whatever obviously mentally there's some some um things because obviously grandparents can be very old-fashioned especially when they were brought up during a horrible horrible to be fair like they they were kids during franco's um dictatorship so they had very traumatic childhoods but it's like there i'm quite lucky in that my family even the side of my family where i don't get on that much has been that my dad's has the same mentality of we're not going to let you starve and we're not going to force you to live in a place that will be detrimental to your physical and mental health because being disabled means it's so hard for me to find a flat that's accessible because I don't have to just think about the actual like lifts in the flat I have to think about so many other things within the flat and also outside the flat and like connections to different tube stations because those are tube stations don't have accessible access and it's like all these things so it's like at least like they're aware and the fact that my dad is also disabled because he got to a horrible horrible car accident when uh, I was a little baby kind of helps because like as much as we have differences when like I'm really struggling with like ableism and stuff like there is something we can connect on because he understand he understands all the internalized shame that comes with like admitting to your 
that how hard it is, like even asking for a seat on the tube can be so harrowing, especially the way people look at you and they're like, what do you mean you need to see it? And I'm like, I literally, I'm showing you my disabled badge. Like, get up here. Just get up. Just get up. Oh my God. That mu- like, I can't even imagine. Like, some people are so judgmental. It's, I've heard a lot of stories as well when I've spoken to other um, creators and saying that like when they go to places with disabled toilets and they've had people like shouting at them like you're not disabled because they're not in a wheelchair and they're like no I I I seriously am like they were saying that even like a night out and in a McDonald's or something like even the staff were like shouting at them and I was like this is seriously fucked up it is it is so fucked up I've had people shout at me for sitting on the floor in a McDonald's at one point he was like you have to get up and I'm like well if I get up I'll faint and then you'll have to call an ambulance do you want to do that like, like there's so many things. And what really annoys me about, especially with like disabled toilet things, it's like, you do realize that some people have stoma bags. Like, like some other people don't need that. And it, what really annoys me and it's in clubs when they have disabled toilets and they're like, well, you can't bring someone in them. And I'm like, I'm in a vulnerable position. I am intoxicated in some way. Not all the time. So sometimes I'm sober, but like they, they might not know that. I'm like, I'm disabled, as you know from the badge I have shown you to be able to access the disabled toilet, because a lot of places won't let you just be like, hi, I'm disabled, they don't care. Which is why I like gal pals, because gal pals don't do that. Gal pals is one of the most disability inclusive places I've ever been to, and I've had some issues with them before, where I brought it up and they sorted it. Never blamed me what's fantastic, but I've been places, and they're like, you can't bring someone in there with you. And I'm like, I am disabled, I need a companion. Someone who was in a wheelchair earlier was able to bring their like, like companion with them but because I'm standing you think I can't and like I have to and then I basically have to give them my medical history to be like yeah I have a risk of fainting I have multiple issues I have dislocations and I don't want to have to press the red cord when I'm like you know half dressed for like a random person to like no yeah let me have my friend in there with me and it's like I end up having to basically explain myself and they're so rude about it and it's like, why is that a thing? Yeah, why are you being rude and defensive? Like, it's a toilet, let me pee. And it's like, they have this whole thing of like, and I'm like, okay, I understand that loads of places don't have like the licenses for like, they, I think they must be worried about, I don't know, sex or drugs and stuff. And I'm like, okay, but. Check my bag. <laughs> also like, it's a club. Yeah. People are likely to be doing drugs everywhere. Can you just leave disabled people alone? Like, why are you targeting yeah. us? Yeah. It feels like if you're worried about drugs, do more I don't know, be more careful with it. I don't know. But like, don't target disabled people. And if you're worried about sex, I don't know. Just It's this whole thing of like trying to like yeah. go in on the vulnerable people instead of focusing on like the bigger issue. I don't know. And it's like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this whole con- control yeah. power. What's the word? Bouncers have a power problem. Bouncers need to chill out. Yeah, for sure. Some of them are awful. I hate them. Yeah. And it makes you feel unsafe. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to go back yeah. there then. And it's like the amount of times people don't know where the disabled toilet is. And I'm like, the thing is, right, sometimes I will take stairs because I cannot deal with it. And it's like, I can take stairs, but especially on something like a night out, taking stairs will cause a lot of problems because it's like loads of small stuff that just add up on top of each other. And then I'll end up basically bed bound the next day. And it's like, I really struggle to wait in queues because of a lot of issues with my heart and it's like if I have to wait for ages and it's like it shouldn't I shouldn't have to go up to someone at the front of the queue and be like excuse me I'm disabled do you mind if I go first like it shouldn't have to be on me but the onus is always on the disabled people and it pisses me off and it happens even in stores like I went I went to a store the other day and there was a massive queue and it was really hot and I was like well I can't queue so I went to someone like I don't always do that like if there isn't a super long queue I normally won't do that 
Um, but like, it was really hot. I was not feeling well. There was a really long queue and I was like, I will literally faint. So I just go up to someone. I'm like, excuse me, I'm disabled. Is it okay if I like just go to the next available till? She was like, oh, I'm not sure if that's something we do. Let me check. And I'm like, what do you mean let you? And I, cause I grew up in France where the laws are so different in terms of that. Like every places that has more than a certain amount of tills has a priority till for disabled people. Like not just like disabled old people and like pregnant people and people who don't have that. You just go up and you're like, excuse me. And they're like, oh yeah, cool. I'll just do you right now. Like they'll just take you. And I get that it's the different like cultural differences because obviously these people are worried of doing something wrong and getting fired. But I'm like, you're not going to get fired for letting a disabled person not have to queue. But they have this mentality of like, I need to make sure. And it's like, I'm not blaming the individuals. I'm just frustrated at the system. That means that that's the thing that happens and it's like always so and I've had people I've had places where they're like oh well it's not in our store policy so we can't do that you have to ask the people and I'm like it might not be in your store policy but you are discriminating against me so technically I could sue you I'm not going to because I'm tired but I could sue your store so like why are you being ridiculous and it's like every time I'm like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna put an official complaint not against the person but like a complaint against the system online and I'm always like I'm gonna do it and then I'm like I do not have the energy it's so tiring <laughs> I mean this is a completely different scenario but like just I guess from my experience like even my boyfriend was saying that the like the women in his office like had like this women's day thing and like they were presenting stuff to do with their work and their yeah. like, upcoming projects for the new year and it was just all women sat in there like listening right and all the men were just like still in their offices and I'm like that's not the point like the point is to get the mm-hmm. people who aren't being discriminated against involved with it so that something a change actually happens you know it's like grace beverly was saying the other day i saw on one of because she she won something and it was just the business thing and i saw it it was like her speech for whatever like the award she won and she said that she does all this stuff and like she invests in women-owned businesses and all this stuff but she says like the onus cannot be on women and that's so the onus cannot be on the person who's being discriminated against and it's exhausting that is because discrimination causes lasting trauma like it does there is a disproportionate amount of young disabled people within queer communities and that is probably it has obviously you can't empirically test that but it's probably due to the trauma that comes from growing up with just the innate homophobia and transphobia that is just in the world and it's that's probably one of the reasons and probably could be linked to other stuff like um, just high rates of neurodivergence and neurodivergence have massive, massive comorbidities with things like Elizanos, which is one of the chronic health things that I have. The onus cannot be on the discriminated people to change things. It has to be the people. It has to be the cis rich white men. They're the ones who need to change things, but because they, they're the ones who benefit from the system, they're not going to do anything. It pisses, it pisses. It's like when people had the outrage of the whole Me Too movement and they were so scared of being falsely accused. And I'm like, why are you scared of being falsely accused? That's shady to me. Yeah. If you haven't done anything, why are you? Yeah. Why are you so worried? So worried. Yes. Probably because you have done something wrong. Yeah. I was going to ask about the um, your ADHD. Yeah. So. If you don't mind talking about that or like yeah. part of your journey, whatever you feel comfortable with. So when I was a kid, it was so obvious I had ADHD. It was so obvious. I was bouncing off the wall. I was always like really, really chatty. And then I really struggled to regulate my emotions and stuff. And it was very obvious. But then I got taken to like, because I really struggled with some spelling things. And like, for anyone who studied French, French is a really annoying language. But 
so I struggled with some of that, but I went to see uh, different people, but like no one ever said, no one ever even like whispered the idea of ADHD. So my mom was like, my parents were like, oh, it's just Estelle. Uh, she's just hyper. She just has meltdowns. This is how it is. Um, and no one really mentioned it, which was ridiculous because I had good marks and I was a girl, right? Good marks and I was a girl, even though my marks fluctuated. My math marks fluctuated depending on the year because of it was so dependent on whether I liked the teacher. Because if the teacher was an arsehole, I was like, I'm not going to do it. And because they didn't explain things in a way that made sense to my brain, it didn't work. And then um, went to uni at 18. A lot of bad stuff happened. And kind of forgot, because I thought I had ADHD, but then I kind of just forgot about that because everything else happened. And then when things kind of started calming down in like end of 2021, beginning of 2022, and I was like, you know what? I think I have ADHD. So I started doing the things I asked for to be tested and stuff. And while we we're doing the questionnaires, because your parents have to do, like someone who knows you when you were a kid has to do a questionnaire. My mum was doing the one for me and she was like, wait a minute, do I have ADHD? And I was like, yes, mother, you do. It's a genetic thing. You 100% have ADHD. Yes, you do. She was like, oh my God. And like her entire life made sense. And then I ended up getting diagnosed. But there was a lot of issues with the system, like trying to get the meds, especially because I had my like heart condition, which is actually not, I call it my heart condition because like one of the main symptoms is tachycardia, but it's actually an issue with my autonomic nervous system and with circulation. But anyways, so that I wasn't fully diagnosed. So they kind of ignored me when I was telling them like I have issues with my heart. So they, I was on so many different medications for like a year, basically. I tried five or six different medications and they all were really bad because basically what I needed was treatment for my heart thing, which I only got sorted. I only got diagnosed couple months ago and I'm on the initial treatment but I think they need to increase the dose that's a whole other thing but anyway so I finally got diagnosed and everything made sense but then when I got diagnosed I started to kind of realize a lot of things and then that's but then I moved to London and then I kind of started hanging out with more neurodivergent people and then I started hanging out with people who are autistic and then that's when I was like wait a minute because I'd started unmasking a bit because I'd realized about the ADHD and I was like well this makes sense and this makes sense but then I started questioning about the autism and then the more I learned about the autism, the more I was like, wait. And then everything kind of clicked into place. That's, I think, the biggest shift for me was when I realized, holy shit, I am autistic. Because back when I was much younger, one of my friends at the time, she was like, because there's this thing. So I got misdiagnosed with EPD. And that's a massive thing that happens with neurodivergent women, especially. But it also happens with other people. But like, it's very disproportionately women who get diagnosed with EPD. And a lot of them, if you look at kind of like the Venn diagram of BPD symptoms versus CPTSD, which is complex PTSD symptoms with autism, there is a lot of overlap. So I got misdiagnosed and I remember my friend telling me, I think I might be autistic and you might be too. And I was like, I don't think so. So I did the test, but I was masking so much at the time. That was before the ADHD diagnosis. I was masking so much at the time that I just answered the questions without really knowing myself. Because when you mask for most of your life, you kind of lose sense of who you are to the point where I was answering this and I didn't know myself. And also I was taking this as a thing that happens a lot because the people who write these quizzes aren't autistic. So they write it with like a neuro typical brain in mind so I took the questions too literally because that's an autistic thing including the do you think take things too literally question I was like well I understand sarcasm so no I don't 
even though I do. That's the thing. I just took the literal question to literally. So anyways, I read that and then a lot of things kind of fit into place. And then that's when I realized, holy shit, the BPD was a misdiagnosis and explained a lot of the things because I didn't relate to stuff like splitting. I was like, I've never really experienced that. And there was a lot of things that I didn't understand and a lot of things that didn't make sense. And there's actually a lot of studies being done because um, there's people who think there's a hypothesis that BPD isn't actually its own thing. It's just a, a modern label for hysteria. Obviously, I'm not, the research hasn't fully been done. I'm not sure, like, it might be its own thing. Uh, but a lot of people have, like, hypothesized that it's extremely traumatized people, especially women, who are most likely neurodivergent, who have had repeated childhood trauma and really just horrible stuff that keep getting traumatized, who end up in these completely dysregulated states and just get blasted with this label of BPD, which is extremely stigmatized. Like it is, like you have so many therapists that are like, oh, I'm not going to treat someone with BPD because they're untreatable. So like, I don't know if that's the case because obviously I didn't do the studies and everything. But with me and a lot of people I know who were diagnosed with BPD or were told they had BPD, who then later on realized or like were diagnosed with autism and then all diagnosed with CPTSD or like both at the same time. And it's kind of like everything started making a lot more sense. And that for me, realizing like the ADHD kind of was like the gateway to realizing loads of things. And then the autism came in and it was like the the missing puzzle piece. And then my life started making sense and I started unmasking to such an extent that like, I started losing skills because that's the thing when you unmask you lose skills and it can be very scary but it's a good thing it's scary but it's a good thing so what happens is as humans we are contextual learners so you learn things in a specific context and if you learn something when you're masking really high so let's say you learn how to flirt with people in a nightclub environment when you're masking really high once you start unmasking you won't know how to do that anymore so you'll have to learn from scratch and it's like, it is scary. Like I used to be able to flirt with people so easily in clubs. Now I can't do it. But like, I'm learning how to do it as my authentic self instead of this like projected version of me who was so well-constructed that I forgot that wasn't me. And I kind of started living for myself. And it was, it was a lot. It was exhausting. And it made me so angry that people had, no one saw this. I saw so many people as a kid and no one saw anything. And I'm so annoyed that I had to go because the thing is this, uh, autism and ADHD are disabilities. They're not disabilities in and of themselves. They're disabilities because of the world we live in. So if we lived in a different world, back in the hunter-gatherer times, it would not have been a disability. It actually would have been an advantage. But because of the way society is created, this is how I see them in my head. It's like the autism and the ADHD are only a problem because of the world we live in, whereas obviously my chronic pain will always be chronic pain, right? And that's how I kind of different Because loads of people still see them as autism is something that needs to be cured. It cannot be cured. It is just your brain is different. And that is a thing. And autistic people do not want a cure. They do not want awareness. They want acceptance and they want accommodations and they want people to stop. It is so much easier for a workplace to do the accommodations that would help someone who's neurodivergent than for us to try and fit in that mold because that's how we burn out. But what really annoys me, and it pisses people who are neurodivergent, and by that... It is, neurodivergence is a huge umbrella term. It also includes stuff like bipolar and OCD and stuff. But a lot of people mainly use it when they talk about ADHD and autism, but it doesn't just mean that, right? People who are neurodivergent have a much higher incidence of mental illnesses and mental health struggles. Because again, we live in a world that is not made for us and a world that tries to like suppress us. 
However, all of the therapies and stuff are created by neurotypical people for neurotypical people. So CBT has been shown to actually, it can be extremely detrimental to autistic people because it can feel like gaslighting and that's not the way our brains work. But a lot of treatments, for example, for OCD, and there's a huge comorbidity between OCD and autism. I think it's like 17% of autistic people also have an OCD diagnosis or the other way around. But some of the most common treatments for OCD is CBT, which needs to be really massively modified in order to work for someone who's autistic. And it's like all of these things and it's exhausting. But for me, it made me angry, but it was so, it was a huge weight was lifted off of me and I understood myself and I stopped masking as much and I started being myself and I was like, it's been hard and it's been exhausting. And around the same time, I started coming off my antidepressants because that had been a plan for quite a while for me to come off them. It just happened over like two years. So not only was I no longer masking, which is exhausting and can mean a lot more like emotional dysregulations over a short period of time. But on top of that, my brain was getting used to not having my emotions numb to the same amount after a decade of that. And like, I don't want this to sound like I, I am against medication. I am not at all. Medication can save lives. I needed it when I was first put on it. I was just kept on it for too long. That's the problem with me is that I was kept on it for too long, personally, from my experience. I don't, like some people might need it for the rest of their lives and that's completely fine. Like I am not against medication. I'm against the over-medication that people go through, including me, instead of getting the proper treatment we needed. I was in therapy since I was 17 and no one thought, until I was like, wait a minute, I think I have that. No one thought, oh, maybe that's what she needs. Maybe she needs to be validated for experience. Maybe she needs help for her trauma. Maybe she needs to learn that she's not a failure and she's not lazy and she isn't broken because her natural sleep cycle is later, which is a very common thing with ADHD people. Because no one thought about that. Because they were like, oh, she's a bright young woman. She's a, she's a lovely little young lady. She cannot possibly be autistic she doesn't line up train people are just so misinformed still and it makes me furious and I one of the only good well not the only good things but one of the good things that happened from lockdown is the amount of people who realized they were neurodivergent because when they were at home they re- they kind of stopped masking and then when things opened up again they realized they weren't able to do it anymore and that's when people and like people started getting diagnosed and then if like a kid gets diagnosed then often that kind of creates a snowball effect of the parents getting diagnosed and the grandparents because it is a genetic thing and that is a good thing and it actually did massive things for the research on autism because people used to think that the ratio man to woman again this is very like cisgendered and like cis normative so like it has normally when they say man woman they go with like them mean in terms of like um male and female and they just ignore intersex people, even though there's as many intersex people as there are gingers. But, you know, the word we live in. Anyways, so when they do that, they used to think there was for every, like, five guys who are autistic, there was only one woman. But now the research has shown there's actually more women. I think it was that, like something like that. And now there's actually, the ratio is actually there's more autistic women than there are autistic men. And... But like it used, to, it's kind of really making a huge difference in this way we research it. Because the thing is, the original research that created the diagnostic criteria that has been in most of our manuals was done on a very limited amount of white young boys. This is why I get so angry. This is why I get so angry. 
And it's just, it was ignoring so many things and it was ignoring intersectionality. And it's just, the history of the way autism has been treated is awful. And it's like, I don't know everything about it because it's just been too, I didn't want to research fully into it just because it is quite upsetting. But like Asperger's was the name of a Nazi, which is why it's no longer a term that's used. But also it was proved to not be a thing. This is why instead of having Asperger's being different from autistic, now it's just a spectrum, even though some people still use that term. It's the name of a Nazi guy. And as we all know, Nazi people like to experiment on people. I just, I just, but yeah, for me, it was a good thing. And I like the idea that more people are realizing it, more people are being open about it. Because it used to be this whole taboo thing. No one used to, like, if you're autistic, you, you didn't tell anyone because you would get bullied. But it's like people now realizing, and like a lot of people, including me, think that about half the population is probably neurospicy. Because it would make sense. I'm sorry. Like, if you had a, a, a grandma that had all these, like, decorative plates that no one could touch. And they always had to stay exactly the same way. And everything had to be done the same thing. That is, that, that's, that's, that, that gives autistic. It just does. And people just kind of just had this fixed idea of it's a Sheldon Cooper. And that's like, that, that is. Some people, some autistic people, 100% relate to Sheldon Cooper. But most of us don't. Because we view things differently. And the whole lack of empathy. There is people, there is a lot of hypotheses saying that, you know, the whole hype, um, hypersensitive, hypersensitive person? Is that what it's called? HSB. Yeah, I think that's it, yeah. There's a lot of people that think that's just a profile of autism. So that's just like a category of autistic people. Because obviously autistic, autism is a spectrum. And when people say that, so I get really annoyed when people are like, oh, everybody's a bit autistic because it's a spectrum. It's like, no, it's a spectrum if you are, but not if you're not. Like, you either are or you're not, but if you are, there's loads of difference. But it's not like little bit autistic, loads autistic. It's more like a spider diagram of loads of different traits and you're more or less of each trait. And then that's how it works. And one of the theories that a lot of people are talking about, which I related to, and that's I saw a video of someone talking about it and I was like, oh my God, that is me is the hypersensitive person, which is me. And that makes a lot of sense because we struggle to regulate our emotions because of the way we process stimuli. It's all very, very interesting. I, I, there's, there's a lot into it. But my favorite theory ever is that neurodivergent people were probably the original neurotype. Because if you look at it, ADHD was like perfect for hun hunters and then autism perfect for gatherers. And everything down to the delayed circadian rhythm of ADHD people. So the thing with ADHD people is they often go to bed later and wake up later, right? And it has to do, like, there's loads of, like, different theories and stuff, but it most likely has to do with, like, melatonin taking maybe longer to work or maybe taking longer to actually, after the sunset, to be released into our bodies, right? But, like, imagine you're hunting and then the sunsets, You can't just get sleepy straight away. You have to, like, take a while to be able to go home safe to your cave because if you get sleepy straight away... And it's dark, you're more likely to, you know, get eaten by a bear or a mammoth. I don't know. So everything like this. And it's just, I get, this is why I get so annoyed when, like, we're seen as this anomaly, as this parasite on society. And I'm like, do you know, do you know the power of the ADHD hyperfixation? It's like Peach PRC did, she said something that was, that was very controversial, apparently for some people, that most artists that you like are probably neurospicy in some way. And I'm like, Probably. But yeah, for me, I don't know if you had any specific questions. I just went on a massive tangent. But for me, it was it, there was a lot of anger that came with realising that, but also a lot of relief and a lot of self-knowledge. And it has, it feels like 
coming home to myself and being my true authentic self. And it's helped me realize so many things about myself and be more authentic in myself. It's helped with me setting boundaries because I know who, because I have more of an idea of who I am. So I have more of an idea of what I'm doing because I want to do it versus what I'm doing because of how I want to help people. And it's helped me understand my own extrovertedness because I used to just be like, oh, I'm an extrovert. And it's like, actually, it's more complex than that. Because as much as I love other people, my battery does get drained a lot for many reasons. And I need social contact, contact, like social... That was called social contact. Yeah, I need that. But it doesn't always have to be in those loud environments. As much as I can sometimes really like big, loud, bustling environments. Sometimes I do do love a nightclub. Other times that's overstimulated, overstimulating anymore. It makes me just want to curl up in a little ball and cry. And it's like kind of understanding the difference is life-changing and amazing and I just want people to stop thinking it's such a horrible thing so many people especially the kids that were called the arsler when they're at school and they have this idea of like well I can't be autistic because then that means it's a personal failure it's like it isn't but also I don't like the whole people pushing the idea that for example ADHD is a superpower onto other people I'm like if for you ADHD is a superpower that's fine just do not push that idea onto other people because for me I have burnt out twice in my life, like fully complete burnout as a result of being neurodivergent in our society. And I know that's not ADHD or autism to blame. I know it's not. But like, to me, that's not a superpower. And unfortunately, with the way the world is built, it is, a, it is legally classed as a disability. Like if you get discriminated against because of it, it is illegal. You are allowed to get, like legally, you are supposed to be getting support at school, at work, etc., which a lot of people don't get. And especially because they have so much shame around it. But like, it is a disability. So if for you, it is your superpower, that's fine. Just do not pressure people into viewing it that way. Because people who have this idea of like, it should be my superpower, why is it limiting me? It can create so much like guilt in them. And I hate that. And it's like, you know, it's beautiful. The people who see it as a superpower and who are able to like channel it in a way that doesn't drain them. I'm like, you know what? I'm so happy for you. That is beautiful. And that's amazing. But please do not, force people to try and view it this way because if someone tells you for me it's a disability for me it is debilitating for me not knowing what to wear in the morning because of my sensory issues or like struggling with food or like wasting so much food because I can't eat I can't meal plan I can't just force myself to eat something I'm not fancying because I will have a meltdown those are really real issues that a lot of us face the amount of people with ADHD who just forget to eat they just forget to eat and then it gets really late so if you add that on top to someone who has an eating disorder who then also forgets to eat the struggles of people who are neurodivergent are very real and I don't like it when they get they're like brushed off as oh you're just being overdramatic or you just have to fall in line or you just have to try harder or you're just being a big baby or well it's your superpower just embrace it it's like no let people struggle if someone's telling you they're struggling just listen to them yeah I think that is I like what you said like I think it's it's great if people can see that but pushing the idea that everyone who also has autism or ADHD or both that it is their superpower I think that is really damaging because it starts creating this like almost resentment towards yourself it's like I can't see this part of me as a superpower or positive so uh, I failed or I hate myself you know it's not it's not a great thing to start (laughs) to start thinking or pushing on people and but yeah I wanted to say thank you by the way for coming on and sharing 
like your experience with it and like how it's affected you and I mean earlier you mentioned about the medical gaslighting and all of that that came with it as well um because it is really hard to speak about I mean sometimes sometimes it almost isn't hard because you've had to fucking relay it over and over again I mean like when I've spoken about my personal issues with my periods and the gaslighting I've had with that it almost seems like I'm just relaying this story over and over again and it's not actually my life and so like sit back and deep it and I'm like yeah that's actually yeah what's happening to you right now um because you've just spoken about it so many times it almost (laughs) doesn't feel real um and my second thing that I was going to say is so you know you said that you obviously I guess started discovering from from university right that is when you sort of like well like right I need to actually like look into this a little bit more um say someone is listening right now and they're at that stage or even younger and you could sort of like give advice to someone in that sort of like sense of oh I I think this is what I have like how do I go about getting a diagnosis or speaking about this or what would you say I would say first of all self-diagnosis is valid loads of people will tell you it's not but it is because getting a diagnosis can be so hard. And like most people think self-diagnosis is just someone like watching one TikTok and be like, oh, that's cool. No, just no. That's just not how it works. Most people will do hours and hours of research and we'll have like folders, you know? And it's like, there is a reason people think that way. Um, so if you, for some reason, you might be in America and it might cost a lot of money that you can't afford or the wait list on the NHS are too long, like you don't need an official diagnosis to ask for the support like even in the UK I'm pretty sure that you don't need an official diagnosis of ADHD or autism to be able to get the accommodations at work I might be wrong but I'm pretty sure that's something I have read um because I think there was a case like that that happened with like some discrimination and someone sued their company anyways um so that's the first caveat second of all I think what's important is getting like trying to get as much evidence as you can because doctors sometimes they will listen but sometimes it will be hard to convince them so try and like kind of make a list of all the things so instead of just looking don't just look at the dsm-5 like stuff like that it's just there's a lot going on and it might not always be right just kind of just make a list of all the reasons why you think you might have that i had that in my notes app i have that with every single time i go to the doctor because i had that with my loss. i had that with my pots i have it with just everything because unfortunately when you go to the doctors most of the time you have to go with the diagnosis you can't just be in like hi I think I have a problem but I don't know what it is you have to come with them with like evidence you have to do their work for them right so if you can try and like get as much evidence as you can um and you can there's like charities uh, that are good do not ever go I think it's autism speaks that's a anti-vax um very ableistic charity so that's the one that I would ignore. But um, the National Autistic Society is good. There's different ADHD ones. And like the NHS websites if you need. But also, honestly, I know loads of people think it's controversial. But some people on TikTok will actually link their resources. Um, what I might do, I don't know if that's... I, there's a woman who posts really good things. I might send you... Yeah, I was going to say everything that you just yeah. mentioned there. I'm going to link in the podcast description so everyone can access those. Cause, yeah, because there is one person who's got a very good thing but like even if it's like memes that you relate to just kind of keep just keep notes of that and then when you go to your doctors do not take no for an answer be like please can I have the pre-screening at least the NHS higher works is like with me I had to be like I think I'm autistic or I think I've got ADHD can I please get referred and if they fight you on it they they're not they have to give you the questionnaire they have to give you the pre-referral questionnaire legally they're not allowed not to give it to you so just get that questionnaire fill it up and try and like 
especially with like, the autistic, try and not be as literal and try and remember that a lot of the questions have been written by a neuro- neurotypical person. So like, try not to think of things super literally and don't worry about being judged because some of the answers feel very vulnerable and it's like stuff that you don't want to talk about because it feels like you have all this shame, this internalized shame. So like, try and like go past that and like, if you need to take breaks, take breaks. I did it all at once because I just hyper-focused and I was like, I need to get it done. And if you can, try and find someone to do the 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 person who knew as a child, the questionnaire, try and find someone who you trust and maybe talk to them about it and explain things. Because with my mum, with the ADHD one wasn't that hard, but with the autism, I had to explain things to her because her perception of how things happened was very different to like how it felt inside of me. So like, she'd be like, oh, but I don't remember that. And I'm like, so you remember when that happened? This is what was going on inside my head. Be as honest as you can and keep fighting. In my, in my, for me, my diagnosis was very quick and easy because I had all the evidence and I made it, I, I made a very conscious effort not to mask. Another big thing is if you get the autism diagnosis, do not Google the actual process of getting diagnosed because the way you get diagnosed is very like, it's like they, they have a question, they have like a whole thing where you have questions. Then there's another part where if you know what's going to happen, you're going to be thinking so much about what you want to do that it's it probably will impact the way you reply. So don't Google it beforehand. It's hard. I wanted to, but I didn't. And then when I Googled it afterwards, I was like, oh my God, that's why they did this. That makes sense. And like, because the thing is, if you know why they're doing things and why they're asking the questions, don't deep it. Just kind of answer. Just be there. Be present. Don't think about, is why are they doing this? Or why is this thing? Just kind of let yourself and if you get really frustrated over a specific task, like I had to do a puzzle that really annoyed me, say you're frustrated. You know, just don't try and suppress your natural instincts and don't mask and don't try and be polite. And if you cry, that's fine. Let yourself cry. I was very lucky. The people were really lovely. Um, but that's only for the diagnosis. The, prom- the diagnosis is great for like kind of knowing yourself and stuff. And like I said, you don't need... I personally... I'm still at a place in my life where I need those like official labels to feel validated, which is not a thing. That's a me problem. Like you shouldn't need an official letter to make you feel validated. But I think what's really important is like the diagnosis. Okay, cool. It's a piece of paper for ADHD can really help because you can access medication, which can be life changing. Like I will be trying back medication once my heart medication has been sorted because it can genuinely change your life. But what's really important is kind of learning as much as you can from good sources that aren't biased. And I think that's why a lot of things on TikTok might be useful because it's people just talking about their experiences. And then you can take what, like, if it's people saying, well, this helps my ADHD, you can be like, okay, let me try that and kind of listen to it and like kind of pick and choose what you want instead of, that's why I think stuff like that can help because there's so much on it. So it's kind of like, instead of just focusing on the diagnosis, focus on how you can advocate for yourself in real life and how you can also make your life easier and like kind of figure out your boundaries of like, okay, did I actually want to, do I actually enjoy nightclubs or am I just going to nightclubs because that's what I feel like I should do and kind of learn about your boundaries and learn about what you want to do. I think that can help because burnout is not fun and a lot of us go through burnout. And if you have the full on like, burnout that's like a complete breakdown it can take like five years to fully recover from it and I'm feeling that and it sucks so like if you can't just be gentle on yourself and try and think of ways that make your life easier without 
changing yourself. Yeah, I'm going to try and find some accounts that I can recommend because I think that's important. But it's kind of learning. I think what's good is like trial and error and not judging yourself and not being hard on yourself. Just do trial and error. Like I still haven't figured out everything that works for me. And it's just kind of trying to remove that judgment and that idea of like, well, for me to be a functioning member of society, I have to get up at 7 a.m. and I have to go to bed at 10 and I need to stop work at 6. I'm like, I am the most productive around like 9 p.m. So I'm just going to work at 9 p.m. Advocate for yourself and make a list and just have all your facts and know your rights and like keep pushing. But also know that you don't need that official label and try and get information from as many sources as you can without overwhelming yourself and do trial and error. Do not take anyone's word for gospel. Just see what works for you because everybody's different. Everybody's different. So don't. So it's kind of like how you can make your life easier and try and find bits and bobs, but also realize that it is not just on you. You are legally allowed to ask for accommodations. I hope that was helpful. So helpful. First of all, thank you so much for coming on the podcast like I'm actually so happy that you've come on and willing to like share your story and your your life like I really appreciate it and I wanted to do the little question before we go as well I'll obviously leave all of your um social media down below so you can go and check Estelle out and if there's anything else you want to shout out or bring awareness to I can always leave that in the description too I do want to shout out a few things so I will let you all know including my tattoo artist because I think they need all the love (laughs) of course of course um but yeah question from my previous guest was what is something I I feel like it's always a classic question but something that always makes you think like what would you tell your youngest I think she said 12 year old self specifically 12 year old wow so I feel like that's a little bit different than like say your 16 year old like so no I get that Oh, that's good. My 12-year-old, I'd be like, it's better to have no friends than to have bad friends. Yes, period. It's a big thing for me at that time. So I was trying to fit in with people who just weren't the right people and they were just not very nice people. And I was like, you know what? It's better to be alone than to be with people who yeah. aren't nice. So that's, I think that would be a big one for me. Yeah. And what was, I was going to ask you if you had a question to set for my next guest. Yeah. I'm going to go with a very silly one. What board game brings out the competitive gremlin out of you the most oh what a great question <laughs> what a great question I'm gonna be thinking about that today yeah. <laughs> I'm not allowed to play Monopoly so I think that would probably be fine <laughs> I just think any because I turn into the complete opposite I was gonna say funny story my f- friend reminded me of it on my birthday she was like one time we were playing like some sort of like cat bingo thing at her house and I refused to play because it's a game of luck <laughs> No, but see, I was like, I, I can't win at this because it's a game of luck. So I'm stepping out. See, I prefer game of luck because if I'm failing, it feels like it's not my fault. <laughs> I still get very that's angry. Funny. I still get very, <laughs> but see, I'd rather, fi- I'd, and I prefer like short games because if they last long and then you lose, then you lose once. However, if it's like a 10 to 20 minute round, yeah. then you can do loads and loads and loads and then it can accumulate. There is a logic to my madness. That's so funny. <laughs> But yeah, I'm a competitive soul. I think it was my maybe my dance stuff when I was younger. Maybe I was really sporty as well and I'd hate if I'd lost and like get really angry. It comes, it stays with me through the board games and Christmas is the worst time for it. It is. Um, But yeah, thank you again, by the way, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week for a brand new episode. Bye.